Hey everyone, I'm Phil Albertelli, and this is the Week in Doubt, a podcast for atheists, agnostics, and of course, whoever. And this is episode 333, and that song is entitled Cousin of Death, and it's by the band Voice of Doom. I'm friends with the guys in Voice of Doom, at least a couple of them. I recently mentioned Joe Pugsley on the show. And he was nice enough to give me permission to play that song on the show, and it's a title track from a new album called Cousin of Death. And as Joe explained it to me, it's a 7-inch white vinyl record, uh, and uh, when you buy it, you get three songs. You get Cousin of Death, which you just heard there. Uh, you get an awesome cover of The Misfits' Demonomania, and I'm a huge Misfits freak. It's, it's one of the things that kind of uh, cemented the quick forming friendship between the guys in Voice of Doom and I. And it also contains a song called Trilogy of Terror from a previous album. And I personally think Voice of Doom kicks ass. And if you'd like to check out their tunes, just go to Bandcamp and look for Pyrrhic Victory Recordings or Voice of Doom, and you, and you should be able to find the guys and all their tunes. And if you're cynically wondering if this is some kind of paid commercial, no, I'm just really friendly with the guys in the band, love their music, and they're good enough to let me play their stuff on the show every now and then. And in turn, you know, it's my pleasure to give them a shout out and spread the news about their music. And at the end of the show, I'll kind of close things out by playing the song Cousin of Death in its entirety. Oh yeah, and I want to mention another friend and listener. Vanessa on Twitter kind of piqued my interest when she tweeted about this book entitled The Darkening Age, The Christian Destruction of the Classical World uh, by an author named Catherine Nixie. And it looks like uh, it's been reviewed by the New York Times. Uh, searingly passionate, ballista bolt of a, a ballista bolt of a book. So that definitely caught my attention. I plan on checking that book out. So uh, thanks to Vanessa for bringing that to my attention. And I guess I'll also take care of the obligatory Facebook shout out. So I'll just pick 10 at random. So we have Scott Steimling or Steamling, Guy F. Northrup, Sebastian Bell, Hannibal Von Mullen, Alexander Hawkins, Bradley Squires, Steve Packard, Beth Lynch, Jerry Whitaker, and Brent Michael. And before I forget, I quickly want to also mention that uh, if you've been interested in my coverage of all the non-sequitur show drama, uh, well, the Free Thought Prophet podcast recently had Steve McRae on the show. So you might want, if you're not already subscribed to the Free Thought Prophet, uh, you know, go find him on YouTube or iTunes and uh, look for the Steve McRae episode and, and dig the rest of their catalog while you're at it. All right. And so YouTube viewers might be wondering why I recently re-released that episode about John Marco Allegro's controversial theory that Christianity may have started out as a kind of mushroom fertility cult, which I kind of cheekily, you know, I cheekily entitled the episode was Jesus a Mushroom or something like that. Um, well, the reason why I re-uploaded it was, you guys remember all that trouble I was having with YouTube where my entire channel got demonetized for quote-unquote reuse content. So I had to 
basically jettison a bunch of episodes in order to try to get my channel back in the good standing. And one of the episodes I got rid of was the original video version of that episode. And it's because it got, uh, there's some really annoying company out there called The Orchard. And they filed or initiated a copyright strike against that episode. And I thought, my first hunch was, oh, it's probably because of the video clips. I play two or three uh, video segments of interviews with John Marco Allegro, these kind of really old, decades-old uh, video clips. But it wasn't even the videos. Strangely, it was the audio from the video segments. And... The reason why I describe The Orchard as being annoying, because this goes all the way back to the early days of the podcast when I first started uploading to YouTube. And at the time, I knew very little about YouTube. I just looked at it as another avenue to try to spread the word about the podcast. So I basically, I think some of the initial episodes may have just been audio only with just still episode art or something like that. And multiple times I got copyright strikes against me because of the intro music. You guys are probably familiar with the standard weakened out intro music that I've been using since the beginning. And that's actually an Apple loop from GarageBand. I think it's entitled Half Dome. And, uh, and actually, I should stop for a minute because I just caught myself. I might be using the wrong terminology because there's a copyright claim and then there's a copyright strike. I think the strike is the more serious of the two. And so I believe regarding my run-ins with The Orchard, those were all technically copyright claims, not strikes. When you get a copyright strike, it's pretty much like baseball, three strikes and you're out. In fact, I currently have a copyright strike on my channel. And I told you guys about that. I had done a video where I commented on an appearance that Richard Dawkins made on the Scandinavian talk show where he confronts the lead singer of The Killers, Brandon Flowers, who is a uh, devout Mormon. And Dawkins just kind of rips into him. And so I did this kind of standard commentary episode where I regularly stop the original video and comment, offer my thoughts on it. And you would think that might constitute fair use, but I guess not, according to YouTube and uh, the Scandinavian Broadcasting Company who took issue with me commenting on their video. So I have a, a current strike on my channel because of that. A copyright claim, what happens is, is someone else, well, they claim uh, ownership of some of the content you're using, and YouTube sends you a nice little email letting you know you're not in trouble, you don't have to take the video down, but you are basically stripped of the right to monetize that content, and the right to monetization goes to... Um, the offended party or the plaintiff or whatever. And I've explained how unfair I think this is in certain instances because, and this has happened to me, you could have a clip that you're integrating into your own 
YouTube video. The, the clip might be under a minute long, might be, I don't know, 15, 30 seconds long or whatever. And if someone else files a copyright claim, despite all the hard work that you put into that video, despite the fact that maybe 80 to 95% of that video is your original content, they can claim monetization to the whole video. Uh, so in a way, it's like, I don't want to whine too much because even use, you could argue that even using a mere 15 seconds of someone else's content uh, might be 15 seconds too much, you know? But I think most people would agree that it's a bit heavy-handed or unfair that all the earnings from a video that you worked on, that you labored to create, should go to the quote-unquote offended party because your video contains a, a small portion of their content, you know, 15, 30 seconds, a minute, two minutes, say out of a half hour long video or something like that. Uh, that's a bit ridiculous. They could maybe find some way to divide the monetization between you and the offended party or ask you to maybe take the video down and re-upload it without that uh, offending bit of content, you know? But I think it has provided a pretty good racket for some companies out there. I believe there's companies that will just kind of blanket, try, you know, cast a wide net out there trying to initiate copyright claims against other content creators in hopes that uh, some of them will stick and they'll get to pull in income from those videos they've claimed, even if they don't have a legitimate right to the content. And so, yeah, The Orchard, several times they initiated copyright claims against me because of that intro music to the show. And once again, as I was saying before I went off on a tangent, this, uh, this episode is 100% unscripted. When you receive, uh, when you're on the wrong end of a copyright claim, YouTube actually shows you where the offending bit of content is in the timeline of the video. And every time it would be the intro music. And as I was explaining, that is an Apple loop. That is free music or, you know, music that you're essentially buying the license to when you buy GarageBand that you're totally free to use and incorporate into your own works. And, um, so, yeah, that was annoying, to say the least. There was multiple times where I had to kind of say, hey, the music that they're claiming is a GarageBand loop that anyone who rightfully owns a copy of GarageBand is free to use, and that eventually they'd let it go. Uh, but it was also The Orchard who claimed the audio to those little clips of uh, John Marco Allegro interviews I had incorporated into that uh, Was Jesus a Mushroom um, video. Do they actually legitimately own that audio? I have no idea. And is GarageBand technically free now? I, I think it might be. I remember back in the day, I think it you either had to purchase GarageBand 
or maybe Gar GarageBand was always free, but I know you definitely had to purchase the optional loop packs, the kind of jam packs or whatever they call them. And so I don't know if that half dome loop that, I, uh, that I've used so often is the intro or bumper music to the show. I don't know if that was in one of the jam packs I bought or if it or if it's free with a free version of GarageBand. But either way, the intention is, hey, you know, if you if you rightfully own a copy of the software, you can use the loops that come with it in your own projects, you know? But anyway, finally, like 12 minutes in, let's move on to the news stories. So originally what I was going to do, uh, I was feeling a bit nostalgic. I used to do this in the old days. Sometimes I'd just sit down and record a show without even knowing what I was going to talk about. And I would just browse Patheos or whatever, looking for stories that interested me. Uh, but I actually found a couple of stories last night that I wanted to talk about that in fairness, I heard other people talking about. And I'm like, hmm, maybe I'll add my two cents. So one story involves Danny Masterson, and this is from um, the Daily News. Danny Masterson and Church of Scientology sued for alleged stalking of sex assault accusers. And so you may or may not be familiar with the name Danny Masterson. He played Hyde on that 70s show. Uh, it's so weird the way time flies. Sometimes I almost think of that 70s show as new in my head. But what that was like over a decade ago now, right? I just looked it up. <laughs> two decades ago, oh my God, said first aired on Fox in a, on August 23rd, 1998. That's unbelievable. I can still remember when that show first came out and, you know, everyone was still getting a feel for it before it really blew up and became super popular because it was a weird kind of almost gimmicky premise for a TV show you know, an ongoing comedy show that's set in the 70s. But uh, it really took off and it lasted a long time. I, I actually liked the show too. I thought it was pretty funny. And I remember there was this ill-fated kind of attempt at a spinoff. There was this short-lived series called uh, That 80s Show or something like that, which just really didn't do too well. Yeah, so you, I probably don't have to explain it, but it was a, about a bunch of uh, young stoner kids, these kind of high school age kids or whatever, and Danny Masterson played the character Hyde, uh, <laughs> kind of recognizable by his big perm and, uh, you know, big sunglasses or whatever, and uh, he always, both the character and the actor who portrayed him seemed pretty affable or likable, you know? So it kind of caught me by surprise when all of a sudden, what was this, maybe several years ago now, when we first started to hear about these accusations of sexual assault against Masterson. And you might be wondering why I'm even covering this on the show. If you keep in mind that just last week, I think I was talking about Jeffrey Epstein. Uh, you know, hopefully it doesn't seem like this is becoming, you know, the week in sexual assault or something like that. Uh, the only reason why I'm talking about it is because of the Scientology connection. And I think the only reason why I brought up Epstein last time is because that was an unscripted episode two, and it just happened that the, the morning I sat down to record was the morning that they found Epstein dead. So uh, it, it was pretty big news, so I figured I'd, uh, you know, I'd mention it on the show and add my two cents. 
But if the accusations against Masterson are true, it kind of paints the picture of a pretty nasty guy. Someone supposedly with a, a, a track record of basically abusing women he was in relationships with. Okay, so this article is dated to August 15th, and it's by Nancy Dillon. And once again, this is from the New York Daily News. Nearly two years after Danny Masterson was accused of sexual assault by four women and fired from the Netflix show The Ranch, the women are suing the actor in the Church of Scientology for stalking and harassment. Masterson, best known for his portrayal of Stephen Hyde in the hit sitcom That 70s Show, quickly dismissed the new lawsuit as ridiculous in a statement issued by his lawyer. According to the 46-page complaint, Masterson conspired with the controversial church to make the four women's lives a living hell after they stepped forward and cooperated with a police investigation. Masterson's ex-girlfriends Chrissy Bixler and Marie Reales, hopefully I'm not butchering that, are named as plaintiffs in the suit submitted Wednesday in Los Angeles County Superior Court. The two other women are identified as Jane Doe's. And so, as a skeptic, atheist, agnostic atheist, non-believer, a person with something, I hope, that resembles a decent moral conscience, you can probably imagine what my thoughts on Scientology are. And I've gone into this before on the show. I basically think that L. Ron Hubbard was a drug-addled charlatan or con man. I basically think the whole organization is a toxic cult that seeks to exploit and control its, uh, its followers to the utmost. So, in short, not a fan. But anyway, I'll continue with the article. Three of the women are former members of the church, according to legal papers. They claim they were subjected to harassment that included public stalking, home surveillance, hacking, property vandalism, vehicle pursuit, identity theft, and threats. Jane Doe number 2 alleges that shortly after she wrote a social media post in March urging the FBI to investigate Scientology, her credit card was stolen and used to deliver $4,000 worth of merchandise from vitamin suppliers and Victoria's Secret to her home. As a result of defendant's conduct, plaintiffs reasonably fared for their safety and the safety of their immediate family, and plaintiffs suffered substantial emotional distress, the lawsuit states. This is beyond ridiculous. I'm not going to fight my ex-girlfriend in the media like she's been baiting me to do for more than two years, Masterson said in a statement issued by his lawyer. I will beat her in court and look forward to it because the public will finally be able to learn the, the truth and see how I've been railroaded by this woman. And once her lawsuit is thrown out, I intend to sue her and the others who jumped on the bandwagon for the damage they caused me and my family. Masterson 43 previously called the rape allegations outrageous and said he was very disappointed when he was written off the ranch in which he appeared alongside Ashton Kutcher, Sam Elliott, and Deborah Winger. The actor was dumped by the United Talent Agency, which represented him for decades. Masterson is married to actress and model Bijou Phillips, with whom he shares a five-year-old daughter. So once again, it's always frustrating to cover these. Another one of these he said versus, she, you know, he said, she said cases. In uh, this particular case, I guess it's he said, she said, she said, she said, she said. 
Um, so I can't responsibly say definitively whether or not the accusations are true. Uh, but would it surprise me in the sense that this is kind of a familiar pattern, and it's kind of the modus operandi of the Church of Scientology, protect the big celebrity members, go after people that try to leave or speak out against the church. And uh, those sound like familiar tactics specifically, too, the, uh, the stalking, the harassment, if the accusations are true, then you know, screw Masterson, screw Scientology. Well, screw Scientology, no matter what. But I hope they all, you know, get what's coming to them. I still find it amazingly mind-boggling that anyone can believe in the obviously made-up garbage that is Scientology. But I guess it's a testament to just how gullible and malleable uh, human beings can be, especially when you indoctrinate them young or when you find them when they're in a weak or vulnerable spot, you know? And that's pretty much how the Church of Scientology operates. Some people are born into it or brought in as kids with their families. Often, you know, they're taking advantage of people who are kind of weak or lost or, you know, confused and looking for meaning. But enough about that. Let's move on to the next story. So here's a Newsweek article, and this, this was actually published today, August the 17th. Tommy Lauren, or Laren, ripped for saying more thought and especially more prayer needed after mass shootings. And then it uh, says, colon, hypocrite, exclamation mark. And this is by Christina Zhao. Zhao? Didn't Tony Danza always used to say, thoughts and prayers, thoughts and prayers? Uh, and, of co and of course, that's the refrain after, you know, any kind of tragedy, mass shooting. Thoughts and prayers go out to the victims. And uh, if you're a non-believer like myself, you can imagine uh, what we kind of think about that. I don't think thoughts and prayers really accomplish anything. Um, if there's any good that they can possibly do, it's that the, the victims' families might get some sense of comfort out of knowing that someone's wishing them well and that someone cares on some level and, and, and wants them to, to fare well as well as they can in the wake of something so horrible, you know? But what's really needed is action and the implementation of real solutions. Petitioning what is most likely a non-existent deity, you know, prize and God do anything. I, I don't think I've ever really seen any evidence that prayer does anything except maybe, you know, lower your blood pressure akin to something like meditation. Uh, and I actually think it's kind of lazy and insulting to, you know, try to suggest that what's really going to change all this is thoughts and prayers, you know? You know, your, your loved ones irrevocably gone. They're not coming back. They were mowed down by some psychopath with, with a gun. But we're praying for you, and hopefully with enough prayers, magically, another incident like this won't happen in the future, you know? But it's kind of ironic if this Tommy Laren quote is accurate. She actually says more thought, not thoughts, more thought and especially more prayer. Okay, get rid of the prayer and just more thought. 
<laughs> not like you're in our thoughts or we're sending you good thoughts. It is nice to know that people care and they're thinking of you, you know, but if you really want solutions and try to make a positive change and prevent future things like this from happening again, I would just leave it more thought. Yes. <laughs> What's needed is serious thinking and then implementing real solutions. And if you're not familiar with Tommy Laren, she kind of started out as a right-wing YouTube celebrity of sorts. And kind of like Candace Owens, she eventually managed to attain a higher degree of celebrity by being noticed by the kind of mainstream media or larger news organizations. And I know people on the right don't like it when you, you know, tr try to say Fox is a part of the mainstream media, but they are, aren't they? Like one of the most, if not the most successful cable news uh, networks out there. So that's mainstream media to me. And Fox News actually, you know, gave Tommy Lahren her own show. But I'll read a bit from this article. Social media users ripped Fox Nation host Tommy Lahren on Tuesday for saying, in quotes, more thought and especially more prayer is needed in the wake of the two deadly mass shootings in America. Maybe more thought and especially more prayer are exactly what we need in this country, the television personality tweeted on Tuesday afternoon, alongside a link to a clip of her talking about the two tragedies that occurred over the weekend. In the video, Laren defends Trump from critics who argue that his inflammatory rhetoric about immigrants had effectively encouraged the hate and violence in the El Paso and Dayton shootings. And in fairness, as I said before when talking about these shootings, what kind of caught my attention is the strange juxtaposition between the, the two shooters. The El Paso shooter definitely was a, a, a right-leaning, right-wing, anti-immigrant type. The Dayton shooter, I thought people were saying, once again, that he politically seemed to be left-leaning, yet then somewhat kind of not in keeping with what you think might be expected of, of a, you know, a politically left-leaning person. There was also attempts to describe him as a incel, and that's more kind of online YouTube lingo or whatever for, uh, and if you're someone who, one of my listeners who doesn't live on YouTube, uh, and unfortunately, you know, I'm a grown ass man who has to keep up with this lingo. Uh, an incel is short, incel is short for involuntarily celibate. And usually when you think of an incel, you think of someone who's got a chip on their shoulder towards, you know, women who tends to have a really kind of conservative view of women and what their place should be. So it seems kind of paradoxical that he might be left-leaning and an incel at the same time. Maybe more has been discovered about this guy since I last, you know, reported or talked about this. And it just came to me that some of you might be wondering, well, when did I last talk about this? I think I talked about the shootings in passing, but still in depth to, to some degree in the last episode of the uh, the Weekend Out bonus show for, for Patreon supporters. And then uh, the following episode of the main show, I may have 
I may have touched on it very briefly. And then uh, Laren continues, the tragedies in El Paso and Dayton are not Trump's fault. They are not the NRA's fault. The shooters are to blame. She said, guns have been a part of this nation since its founding, but we've had these frequent mass shootings in the last 20 years. So clearly there is something else wrong here. And I have to admit that this is a, that's actually a more thoughtful comment than I would necessarily expect from Tommy Laren. And if you're not familiar with Tommy Laren, uh, I don't necessarily think of her as an intellectual juggernaut or anything, but I think she's partially right in a couple ways. On the one hand, yeah, at the end of the day, the lion's share of the blame has to be on the individual who chose to actually pick up the gun and pull the trigger, you know? And when she says that, you know, guns have been a part of this nation since its founding, there has to be something more than guns going on here. I actually think she's partially right there, too, that there's obviously other societal forces forces and factors that factor into to this. So even though the direct blame should go, you know, logically to the person who pulls the trigger, I don't think you should let everyone else off the hook. And, and that includes Trump. I've mentioned this on the show a number of times. Stephen King spoke out, I think, in the wake of Columbine or something like that. And he said something that always stuck with me. And in a way, you know, he was defending Marilyn Manson. It's, I'm a big Marilyn Manson fan. And um, it's funny, I believe the Columbine shooters, contrary to popular belief, weren't, they weren't even Marilyn Manson fans. Um, they listened to other bands, I think Rammstein, who I'm also a fan of, and some other bands. But he said, you know, Stephen King's stories, because people would sometimes blame the violence in his stories and some of the scenario, because I think he wrote a book or a short story long, long time ago. It had to do with something kind of like a, a school shooting um, before, you know, the rise of school shootings as uh, this kind of cultural uh, phenomenon. Uh, so he would say, you know, people like himself, Stephen King, and musicians like Marilyn Manson, shouldn't be directly blamed for things like school shootings, but they may act as a kind of accelerant on the fire, so to speak. You know, Marilyn Manson records or gory Stephen King stories aren't going to take a normal, well-adjusted person and magically turn them into a bloodthirsty killer. You know what I mean? But maybe, maybe you could make some kind of argument that if you have someone that's already mentally unstable and they're steeping themselves uh, in really kind of, you know, dark culture, uh, you know, horror stories, horror movies, heavy metal, and you know, so, and once again, you guys know me, um, was technically still am in a dark heavy metal band, uh, listen to a lot of dark heavy metal myself, love horror movies, love horror stories. Uh, I play violent video games and stuff like that. So well, I'm saying the majority of people are not going to be driven to do something awful because they're into this stuff. You know what I mean? Most people 
compartmentalize. You know, maybe you're playing Call of Duty and you're mowing down Nazis or doing whatever you're doing or playing some kind of, you know, playing Grand Theft Auto or something. And you put down the controller and you're a nice, relatively normal person who still has a moral, intact moral compass and knows you don't kill people in the real world. Or, you know, like me, you can work out to Marilyn Manson or some kind of, you know, dark, violent music. And, you know, maybe it helps you feel more aggressive and push through your workout. Maybe your mind even goes to some dark place places, you know, during your workout guided by that music. But when the workout's over and the earbuds come off, still got a moral compass, you know, not to go out in the real world and hurt anyone. You know what I mean? But I guess technically, you know, hypothetically, it might be possible to have someone who's already kind of unstable, someone who, you know, and I'm not a psychology professor here. I always get the two. I know, I know sometimes I think they, they might have some overlap or be interchangeable in some instances, but psychopath and sociopath, right? Uh, you might have someone who's uh, kind of maybe by nature has psychopathic tendencies who lacks that kind of moral uh, equipment or safeguards that the rest of us have to some degree. And you have someone like this who kind of irritates their state by, uh, you know, working themselves up with violent video games, uh, dark music, uh, you know, violent imagery or whatever. For a person like that, those kind of things might function as accelerants. You know, someone who lacks empathy or maybe you know, impulse control to some degree and they, they work themselves up, you know, with all this stuff. Yeah, maybe that, that's possible. But trying to throw the video game industry under the bus in regard to the problem of, you know, mass shootings, uh, that's a shortcut to thinking. That's lazy. I think it's intellectually dishonest. When it comes to guns, you know, I probably describe myself as being something of a centrist, I guess. I personally don't really care too much about guns. Uh, I think with maybe the exception of a BB gun as a kid, you know, I, I don't think I've ever fired a weapon. I might if someone took me to a range, you know, I'm sure I'd probably get like a gas out of firing a gun or whatever, you know. Um... But I'm not like a gun enthusiast. I don't own any guns. And even though I'm an, you know, a bleeding heart animal lover who can't stand to think of any animal in pain, I do have some respect for hunters. And, and that might sound kind of contradictory or unexpected. But the way I always kind of, you know, say it is that... I think there's something more noble and respectable about going out and killing the animal you're going to eat or feed your family yourself than doing what most of us, including myself, do, which is going to a supermarket where everything's nicely wrapped in cellophane, doesn't even look like an animal anymore, or packed in some glossy packaging in the freezer, and you can pretty much forget, literally, how the sausage is made, you know what I mean? Um, you don't have to get your own hands dirty. So I actually respect hunters in a way for being willing to do the dirty work themselves, as long as 
is they have a real, it might sound odd, you know, how does it help the animal if the person killing it respects it? You know what I mean? But I think it does make a difference in a way. If you have a, a real respect and reverence for the animal that you're hunting and you understand the weight of what you're doing, you're putting the brakes on another living, breathing creature. If, if, if you have respect for that animal, you take it seriously and you make sure that animal doesn't go to waste and you do your damn best to make sure that it gets a quick, painless death. You know what I mean? Um, I'm not talking about big game hunters. You know, people like Trump's kids who go out and kill elephants and lions for the fun of it for the excitement of it so they can feel like a man, you know, killing these majestic creatures who they're not going to eat their meat. They're doing it just to feel big and kill something. But if you understand what you're doing, you respect that animal and you're using the meat of that animal to feed yourself and your family. I think that's more moral or noble than, like I said, doing what most of us do, going into the supermarket and getting something nicely wrapped in cellophane without getting your own hands dirty. And so I understand that if people are going to hunt, you know, they're going to need something to hunt with. So, you know, the idea of someone having, you know, a hunting rifle or whatever, or having some kind of self-defense weapon to protect themselves and their family, you know, that they keep in the home. And, and that could open a whole nother, you know, can of worms where you know, most gun accidents or whatever, they take place in the home, right? And if you're going to have a gun in your house, you better make damn well sure that it's locked up properly and somewhere where a child's not going to find it or, you know, that you're cleaning it properly. It's not going to go off and uh, shoot a member of your family by accident while you're, uh, you know, cleaning it. So the reason why I would describe myself as kind of a centrist or moderate when it comes to guns is because I I'm not for completely banning guns. And to be fair, I don't think most people on the left are for that. They're just for kind of sensible reform or gun control or whatever, uh, you know, more stringent background checks, uh, limiting perhaps what kind of firearms can be sold or whatever. Uh, I imagine it must be a lot of fun to shoot an AR-15 or whatever. I know there's differences, right? There's like civilian gun models that are based off of military weapons and things like that. And then gun enthusiasts always want to make sure that we properly make the distinction between semi and fully auto. Um, basically, any gun that fires every time you pull the trigger, uh, that's semi-automatic, right? Um Fully automatic is like a military-style weapon where you hold the trigger and it continuously fires, right? I think so. And so I think the norm is semi-automatic, both handguns and these kind of AR type of guns and stuff. And like I was saying, half-jokingly, I mean, I'm sure it's true. It must be fun to fire like an AR-15 or something. Um, but do, you need, do, do people really need one? And I think in the case of these... Two last back-to-back -back shootings. The El Paso one, I think the shooter did use some kind of like AR-15 type of gun, right? And the um, the one the day after, the Dayton one, I think that might have been a semi-auto handgun or something. Something, am I correct? Please, 
please do, you know, correct me if I have that wrong. I, I very well could. Um, so gun proponents will argue that you could potentially do just as much harm with a, a, a semi-auto handgun as you could with an AR-15 or something. Maybe an AR-15 makes it, it gives you more control or something. I, I, I don't know. But what we do know is that the, when these shootings take place, most of the damage, this massive carnage, usually takes place in a very short window of time. So whatever guns they're using are highly effective, and they're allowing these people to do a lot of damage to take out a lot of people in a very short amount of time. And so I know gun enthusiasts aren't going to like hearing this, uh, but I am definitely of the mindset that if you could prove to me that you know certain types of guns are more dangerous than others, and by limiting or banning the sale of these certain types of guns, you could you know, really cut down on the damage that's done when one of these horrible mass shootings takes place. I would be all for it. I'd be like, yeah, let's, let's get rid of them. Why do people need them? Uh, we, we should be able to find some kind of compromise where people can have self-defense weapons, hunting weapons that aren't capable of quickly wreaking this horrible carnage in a mass shooting situation. And it's funny to get back to Tommy Lahren. She was talking about how there must be other factors besides guns involved because guns have been around since the founding of the country. And yeah, I mean, that's the thing. Like like most technology, you know, it becomes more sophisticated and effective over time. And this is certainly true of guns. Firearms have come a long way since the time of flintlock weapons and muskets, uh, where you had the pause and, you know, and re reload in between each shot. We now have weapons where, you know, some malcontent or psychopath with a chip on their shoulder can pick one up and easily slaughter a whole group of people within a very short window of time, as I was saying earlier. So to pretend that guns aren't part of the problem, I think, is, you know, you have to be either uh, deluded or dishonest to, to try to argue that. And I was talking about why I described or what Stephen King described as accelerants earlier. You know, what you talk about heavy metal music, violent stories or movies or whatever. Well, I certainly think political rhetoric can act as an accelerant. And in a way, maybe in, maybe in some way even a more effective one than uh, those other types. And this is what I meant when I said not letting people, including Trump, off the hook. Because... Yeah, it's true. Trump didn't pick up a gun and shoot anyone. Uh, and I think, to you know, he's an egomaniac. He's an opportunist. He loves throwing red meat to his base. So this constantly, you know, drumming up all the anti-immigrant stuff and uh, worsening or inflaming the already divisive climate that exists in the country, that works as an accelerant, too. And this isn't just a Manson record or, you know, a Stephen King story or Call of Duty game or whatever the hell it is. This is inflammatory rhetoric coming directly from the president of the United States. So, I mean, I'm just some dude recording a podcast sitting in front of a microphone here. But I think, you know, if it was up to me, 
if I had the power and I was going, you know, I was given the task of trying to solve the mass shooting problem. I, I think it's a, a fight that needs to be waged on probably multiple fronts and that what's needed is a kind of multi-prong solution. One thing that I do think people on the right do have right is that there obviously is a mental illness component. But where I part ways with them is that they kind of push or emphasize the mental illness factor because they want to de-emphasize, if not completely ignore, the gun factor. But I think, you know, destigmatizing mental illness, trying to spot people with mental illness or, you know, mood or personality disorders before they slip through the cracks, combined with, you know, sensible gun control or reform, and, you know, emphasize, try, even though I'm a non-believer, I still believe in the almost sacred, for lack of a better word, value of human life. I mean, trying to teach people from a young age to be accepting, to be compassionate, to truly understand the value of life, you know, trying to catch people like I said, with mood disorders or mental illness before they slip through the cracks and try to get them the help they need. Um, and, you know, not pandering to the gun lobby, the, the NRA, being honest about guns, what the problems really are with guns in our society and what can be done to eliminate or cut down on the type of damage that can be done in these mass shooter situations by preventing people from getting their hands on certain kinds of firearms. But man, I've been at it for a while and I'm getting tired. I know this was a long and windy unscripted one. And I, I know there's some of you out there who dig those. So hopefully you'll like this one. Uh, for those of you who prefer the scripted ones, I have a few ideas. I almost said ideas. I have a few ideas kicking around the noggin for my next, uh, you know, what I might want my next scripted documentary episode to be. <sighs> so, all right, you guys know the drill. Facebook, Twitter, YouTube. Um, if you'd like to support the show monetarily, uh, I do have that dream of mine that I'm trying to keep kindled of uh, eventually turning this podcast into my day job. So if you'd like to help me attain that dream by supporting the show monetarily, you know, you can go to patreon.com slash the weekend out and support the show for as little as 99 cents a uh, month. And that gives you access to all the bonus content. All right, brothers and sisters until next time. And here is cousin of death in its entirety. <laughs>